there are definitely valleys along the way. And I was very fortunate enough that I had a great doctor. And every time I went in and saw him, which would seems like it was a lot every time I, it was almost every couple of weeks that I, that I saw my oncologist, we would talk about how I was doing from a mental state. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. Hello, friends, and welcome to my 21st episode of the Altered Stories show, Healing Conversations with Tawana, Breast Cancer Survivor Mental Health Recovery. Thanks for listening to the podcast show. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Michelle Renee Gutch, CEO and founder of Altered Stories Ministry and host of this podcast show that shares personal and authentic God stories of Christian women so women across the world can hear them. Now, let's get this show started. Today, I'm excited to feature our rock star Casey guest host and mental health therapist, Tawana Clark Shepherd, and a former awesome guest and great friend of mine from my own state of Colorado, Chris Barta. Let me share just a few words about Tawana. For those of you that are listening for the first time, uh, she is a founder of Abundant Living Legacy Life Care and our board secretary. And this is her sixth episode. And you can listen to her God story, Tawana's story, episode 12, to learn more about her where she shares her mental health recovery journey, which led her to start her own practice here in Overland Park. Tuana, as I always share, works tirelessly to be a voice for all who battle mental and emotional illness. Anything else you'd like to share about yourself, Tuana? Well, you, you kind of covered it all, um, just that um, I also um, have about now over a year and a half um, in broadcast experience um, with my radio show that I um, started about a year and a half back called Talk About It with Tawana, where I also sought to raise awareness um, to the plight of mental health and to just shine a light um, on the stigma. So. That would be all. Those episodes are available on various forms of my social media. Okay, cool. Thank you. So those of you that don't know Chris and you haven't listened to her former podcast episode, which is episode five, she is a dear Christian friend of mine. She's a breast cancer survivor, a wife, a mom, a business leader, She's a board member of r Retreat Ministries. She's a sister and aunt. She loves the outdoors, hiking, fishing, and I know she loves to work out and go to the gym. Chris, is there anything else I missed that you'd like the listeners to know? Um, gosh, I, nope. I think he got it up. Okay. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> today, Tawana and Chris, are going to be discussing Chris's journey of breast cancer survival and some of the mental health issues she encountered during her experience and how she overcame them leaning on God's promises. 
So, lovelies, let's get this conversation started. Welcome, and how are you ladies doing today? I am doing absolutely great. I am on the eve of celebrating another birthday tomorrow, October 30th, so um, God willing, I see tomorrow I am excited about that, just another year of life. How about you, Chris? I am doing very well. Thanks for asking. I am. It's very snowy in Colorado, so I'm trying to keep warm today and I'm trying to do all the balancing acts that so many working women and mothers have to juggle throughout the day. And that's kind of my daily my daily task is trying to fit it all in and not uh, and not feel too overwhelmed with it. So um, this week has been a little stressful, but you know it's great to take time out, sit back, and really give God the glory that he deserves. So thank you for allowing me to be part of your ministry, Michelle, and just to share my story. Well, I can't wait to hear your conversation with Tawana. So ladies, um, if there's one thing you'd like the listeners to take away today, is there some specific verse, Bible verse, or just something that God has impressed on your heart that you would like the listeners to take away today with? Um, yes, um, I would really like for the listeners to truly, truly walk away with that sense of prospering in their health as they prosper in the things of the Lord, because God has a lot of unique ways in which he heals and he brings wholeness to us when We are broken in any form, whether it is physiological healing or emotional healing. Um, And so that scripture comes to mind. But then also Ephesians, when I was preparing for today, Ephesians 3, um, 17 and 18, um, where I talked about the prayer that people have the power to understand as all people who are God's people should, truly, truly, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Because a lot of times when we are suffering with pain in our minds and in our bodies, we sometimes become disconnected to the fact that God's love is still very, very, very present and very available and very much so a source of comfort for us. And so I just hope something that we discussed today um, reminds people of that deep abiding love that he has for them. That's really precious, Tawana. And I hope the listeners do get a lot from today's conversation. And Chris, is there something you want to share? So I would lean back into how much God loves us and just that in my own weakness, he makes us strong. Um, I think that was really oh, the theme of me overcoming the cancer and just walking through it, that just knowing that he was walking beside me and making me strong. I don't think that I could have come through it as positively or just as graciously as he allowed me to without having the faith and without having his strength because during that time, you're ripped with from all your strength, all your beauty, just all your senses. And so really felt that that was one of my weakest times in my life. But 
throughout that, I was able to keep that positive attitude because in him, I was strong. That's a great segue. So let's get this conversation started, Tawana. Well, yes, that is an awesome segue um, because um, you you mentioned um, just having so many things um, seemingly ripped away from you while you're going through the journey of cancer treatment and the process of of even everything from the medicinal, um, you know, interventions um, to, you know, the support that you need that, that might be sometimes available, sometimes not available. And so I just wanted to center our conversation today around more so just this interesting correlation that I found between breast cancer and cancer survivors in general and PTSD in specific. So for those people who are listening, I never assume that people know what acronyms mean, even though it's widely discussed these days. But PTSD refers to post-traumatic stress disorder. If we could just kind of talk through, first of all, I would just like if you could share with the listeners um, a little bit about your, your journey with that whole battle? I'll shorten the whole journey, but um, I was 48 when I was diagnosed and it just so happened that I was working out and I pulled a muscle in my um, side and it was right around in my breast and I did a um, self-examination and found it and knew immediately it was breast cancer. So I went in and got diagnosed and I was right on the verge of either stage two or stage three, looking at how they, um, how many lymph nodes are affected depends on what, what stage you're in. So, and Hmm. because originally when I had pulled that muscle and again, it's just by the grace of God that I, I got a pulled muscle because I would have never done a breast exam. Hmm. The the doctors thought that, um, I was in stage four because I had crazy pains in places where you shouldn't have pain. And they, um, so they pushed me through really quickly with all the screenings to determine what, where I was at and, um, and then started treatment right away. So through the treatment, I did 16 rounds of chemo and then did a double mastectomy and then did um, 40 rounds of radiation and then mm. did the breast reconstruction because I had the flap surgery. So then, and then it was um, several surgeries, probably maybe four surgeries after that. So it felt like, you know, on my timeline, I was like, we got to have the, I was diagnosed in May. And I, because um, I'm in insurance, I wanted to make sure that I only had to hit my deductible and out of pocket in one year. And I wanted this whole thing to be done in eight months. And they're like, oh, you need to readjust your timeline because it's going to be more like four years. So that was just a shock in and of itself that, okay, this is going to be a long, long process, much longer than I had really wanted it to be. So so that's just kind of an overview of um, my treatment um, and lots of peaks and valleys through that treatment. Um, it was not like any cancer survivor or any cancer patient, there, there, are, there are definitely valleys along the way. And I was very fortunate enough that I had a great doctor. And every time I went in and saw him, which would seems like it was a lot every time I, it was almost 
every couple of weeks that I, that I saw my oncologist, we would talk about how I was doing from a mental state and mm. what kind of support could he give me, whether it be support within the hospital system or the provider system or even resources outside, like so American Cancer Society um, or faith-based support. Like what, what could he get me connected to to help me with that? And also we talked about um, medication. Like did I need to be on medication to make sure that I could face the challenges ahead of me? So it sounds like you had what my research and experience, both with people I've treated, um, as well as my research, it sounds to me like you kind of had kind of a unique source of support from your actual, is that, would would that be your, your oncologist? Mm -hmm. That was my my oncologist. And then when I went in for my infusion, so for the chemotherapy, um, all the nurses, um, I had three nurses that I saw every week that treated me. And so between my doctor and those three nurses, I, they helped me stay really connected to the resources that are available outside of my own, my own personal resources. Okay. Okay. So you're going through this journey. It sounds like you had some really aggressive treatment, but also it sounds like you had to um, make some adjustments. Um, mentally and emotionally um, early on around what your expectations were versus what was realistic. And mm-hmm. so as, as you think back on that, what would you say was the most mentally and emotionally difficult part about your expectations about what it would be versus what actually happened as you were going through it? So I would say it was really the physical toll of the treatment. So I have a big hair and I feel like my hair somewhat defines um, who I am. And uh, I lost my hair much sooner than what... <laughs> than I have a lot of hair, face. yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I lost mm-hmm. it much sooner than what they had said I was going to. So I had, you know, okay. told myself that, it was going to be close to eight or nine weeks into chemo, but because I have so much hair and it's so heavy, I lost it closer to four weeks into it. So I was not prepared to be bald and um, it's hard to pull off being bald. So, um, so that I think was, that was the first really big challenge. And then about eight weeks into um, the chemo, I just did not have the energy to work out anymore. And, you know, Michelle said, you know, I love to be outside. I love to work out. I love to be active. And I did not have the energy to do that anymore. So that was another really big hurdle to, to know that here I am, someone who was always busy. Um, and all of a sudden, I didn't have the energy to even move off the couch some days. So that was a huge adjustment to me as well. And then um, there are certain people who don't know how to talk to you when when you're facing an illness. And so you really find out who, I don't want to say who your friends are, but who can deal with the diagnosis alongside you. So it was trying to find those friends to be surrounded with, as opposed to the friends that were pulling away. 
that you thought were going to be there in those times. And so that, that was a huge adjustment too. So I would say, you know, the first, probably, you know, that those first couple of months when you're going through chemo and there's all the physical changes, those were the, I think the hardest couple of months of the, the treatment from a physical so, standpoint. Yes, exactly. And so that is perfect that you said that at the end. So you're being kind of challenged from various directions. And it sounds like a couple of them at least were completely unexpected because yes, I mean, how are we to ever know who is going to be able to stay on the ship with us when the waves are tossing it, you know, Mm -hmm. versus who um, jumps overboard or takes a, you know, a a lifeboat and it's like, I'm out of here. I can't, you know, you just don't know how to predict that. And so mm-hmm. it sounds like you're, you, were, you were dealing with things on physiologically as well as mentally, emotionally. Where do you recall kind of having that moment where you were really noticing uh, 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 your, your biggest struggle emotionally? Can you kind of um, take us inside of there? I would say it was when I had already gone through the surgery and I started radiation. So I went through chemo and it was, um, and it was bad, but you know, I made it through. And then, and people would tell me, the nurses would say, Oh, you've made it through chemo. So, um, amazingly you're going to do really well through radiation. And Oh my gosh, radiation was really, really tough. Um, it was incredibly uh-huh. painful and, and, I and I had an allergic reaction, so the blisters on top of the blisters um, were just horrific. And so when when I was feeling so horrible physically, I think that's when you have I had the biggest mental toll. Was like I'm not sure that I can get through this. And that's when you know when I had a lot of uh, or I had a, a couple of different. Um, Bible studies that I was going through, one, um, an external Bible study um, with some friends, and then one through church. And um, that's when I really needed their support to get to get through it, because I didn't think I could get through that. It was it was so painful. So I would say, you know, along with the, the worst part of the physical changes, the, that's when it hit me mentally the most as well as during during that that time frame. So I was almost maybe nine, 10 months into treatment and probably nine months into treatment at that point when it was like, wow, this, this is much harder than I ever anticipated. And, and like you said, from an emotional standpoint and a mental standpoint as well, it was really difficult to, to keep moving forward. Sure. So, so we're talking about the, the stage where you're going through everything treatment wise, right? Mm -hmm. Usually. And tell me, tell me how this fits for you or, or where you landed with this particular set of data that I'm going to lay out here. Because I find this data really interesting because it also applies to how it is when people lose a close loved one, particularly if it is a spouse or a child um, or a parent and you are still a, a minor. Okay, so... The data that I'm talking about is kind of this difference between the amount of 
mental and emotional toll that it takes upon you while you're going through it versus what technically constitutes real PTSD and from a from a from a assessment standpoint. And one of those things is it's kind of a later after the fact, after the trauma, after the impact, kind of depression, anxiety, all the symptoms that might come with it that cause it. So whether it's PTSD or it's an anxiety disorder or it is depression, um, clinical depression. But the data talks about the fact that while you're going through Even though there's a humongous set of difficulties that are attached to the process of going through cancer treatment, the interesting thing about it is that a lot of people, um, somewhere around like 22%, were diagnosed with PTSD, particularly about six months after all the stuff was done. And um, even some data went out four years, like they followed, you know, the sample group out four years, that some people continue to have marked symptoms for even four years. And they linked it to the fact that while you're going through all of that, you have pretty consistent contact with other human beings that are actually sometimes even if it's their job. So you talked about the nurses, right? And having a great doctor and a decent nursing staff. But as it is when people lose someone to death after the funeral, right, and the arrangements and the initial checking on you, there's like this silence that happens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so people kind of forget. Um, and particularly with those who have gone through cancer, if they are in any, set, any, any stage of remission as well. So now all the activity is kind of quieting down, if you will, for the activity of treatment. So that mm-hmm. includes the support, people checking on you, all those things, all that kind of quiets down. So did you find that any of that was the case? I would say yes. And I would say just like you said, it's after through all the treatment and you, I got through all of the surgeries and I'm on the other side. Um, I have become really fearful of the what ifs. Um, so, um, and all, knowing that there there's a risk in living, and so many um, things could happen to anyone throughout the day that's unexpected. Life is so precious, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so, I, and I'm not worried about me not facing tomorrow. I'm worried about like my children or my my husband. What if they were in an accident or what if they're diagnosed today or what if something bad happens to them? So I face that fear that you were talking about. And I do believe it's because I was able to go through cancer and I had my steps and I had my treatment plan and I, and I had my strength and I had God on my side to, to protect me along the way. But now that things have quieted down, it's that fear factor that now comes into it. So um, so I would say, yes, that, that part of that, that whole fear factor, because I was like somewhat crazy before this whole thing happened, but now I feel like that I'm much more sensitive to the mm-hmm. what is that can happen throughout the day. So um, that is one of my prayers every morning is um, 
um, to, to Jesus to please help me walk through the fear that I can't let Satan have that, that darkness over me, over me because I know what's, that you're on the other side regardless of what happens today. So it, it's something that I still battle to today. That's an interesting segue because I also have written down this thing around the fears that are associated post-treatment. And it is everything from, I mean, you have people who have a lot of anxiety around survivor's remorse. One particular lady talked about um, even how at one point this support group that was almost like oxygen and water to her then became a kind of a triggering for her trauma responses and she didn't realize it didn't know of course she had no way of knowing that it would it would switch up like that but Mm -hmm. that was because there were a lot of people that she had walked through with that didn't make it and so Mm -hmm. she talked about fears associated with everything from just even having more of a raw sense and that's what I hear you saying of mortality um, mm-hmm. the, the frailty of life, um, to survivor's remorse, to fears around recurrence. And again, there's not a lot of support um, given to people around the, the specific fear of recurrence. Um, and yet, you know, the statistics around that are pretty, pretty staggering um, about the, the level of risk factor for recurrence. There was some talk about different people needing different treatment plans and the, the, the sense that what might work for you at one stage of treatment may not work for you once you're through all of the treatment and even perhaps even into remission. And it even talked about this group that they followed, like I said, four to six years down the line if they had not specifically included things in the treatment plan that dealt with the silence now, the, mm-hmm. the, the stuff that, because if you survive it, there's also a lot of this um, warrior language um, that I kind of picked up on. We do a lot of warrior language when it comes to cancer. There's also this, denial if you if you will about just simply being afraid right that you don't feel freedom mm-hmm. to really talk about maybe a, maybe with some you know loved ones or if you have a counselor or what have you um but publicly if you think about it there is a huge platform surrounding warrior language you know we fight this we beat this we you know um mm-hmm. so how does that hit you when I say that? Does that resonate with you around the warrior language and how that sometimes can almost rob you of the reality of your your fears and your anxieties, especially once you've gone through treatment? Yes, it does. And um, But I'm going to throw a caveat out there. So when, when I hear other people speak and tell their stories and, and like you said, have the warrior talk down, a lot of times they don't flip that around to talk about the fear. And that to me is frustrating because you're not, you're only getting um, that, you know, I made it through and, and 
look at me mm-hmm. and it's not, but it's, it's, you're not getting the whole picture because there's, there's so much to it because we're all human beings and we all have ups and downs and you're only hearing just a small slice of the story. But the person that you're listening to doesn't touch on the fear factor because it it is 100% there. Or for me, it was 100% there. When you talk about, you know, the fear of it coming back, I, I was so happy to go um, see my oncologist. And when I moved up to only seeing them every six months, it was like, well, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. I like coming to see you every three months because I know that uh-huh. excuse me, you're going you're gonna to make sure that it hasn't come back. And so uh-huh. when I graduated to that every six months, it's supposed to be a celebration, but it's like, but there's fear associated with that. And I don't think right. that a lot of people touch on that when you hear them talk about their journey. Right. No, they don't. But I mm-hmm. love the fact that you just you just gave a real life example about a moment where imagine how I can only imagine, if you will, how difficult it was for you to find very many people that you could just say that to. Like, mm-hmm. no, I don't. I, it's not a good thing that I don't get to see them every three months. I'm, I'm having anxiety here about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. There's not a lot of people you can say that to that won't look at you. And then you have all this pressure to je- to be grateful, right? Well, you can be grateful, but still battle fear and anxiety. You can recognize God and what he's doing and the miracles that he is working every moment, every second, but still battle anxiety. Mm-hmm. But there is not a lot of people that I would imagine anyway, that you could have said even, that you could have expressed even that particular source of anxiety that you had about being released from three months to six months, right? Yep. I, that would I look at you like... I could probably name on like three fingers the people that I told like that, that there was that anxiety surrounding just that one little moment of, of uh-huh. the graduation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so I imagine how many people um, that go through the whole series of of anxiety ridden um, emotions surrounding the fears surrounding just the the unknowns having a whole different lens through which you look at life and sometimes being in a household where you don't have that in common with anyone right so now because mm-hmm. you you look at life totally different it changes you how how did you how did you navigate through that part and the anxiety that came with it? So you kind of come through it a different person. You still live in the household with with people, and of course things have changed for them as well because they've had to face you know that sense of losing you. But it's different when you're you know a support person versus the person going through it. So how did you? And how are you still even kind of navigating through that? So and well, I'm going to try and explain this and hopefully this comes through the right way. So I feel in some respects that I've become a little bit more morbid um, because I know how quickly life can change and how quickly it can be taken away. So um, it's it's more of, I'm not saving as much because it's like, why do you save for retirement 
or worry so much about retirement when we're not guaranteed to see that day. I think that, uh-huh. you know, it's that it's that fine balance between um, enjoying today and putting some uh-huh. money aside for tomorrow, but not living for tomorrow. Um, yeah. So, so I would say that 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 definitely has changed, and my husband can't figure out why I'm like that now. Um, sure. Yeah. So, and then so for me, it's like I'm constantly thinking about okay, if if someone were to die, if this person were to die today, like how would that impact me, and how would I walk through that, and what would tomorrow look like? Um, and and I do that with a lot of close people in my life, and so I feel, again, I feel like I've become a little bit more morbid because I know the reality that someday they might not be there. Right. And so with that, when you're talking about that, so tell me, if we had to talk about a treatment plan, if you will, right? So mm-hmm. other people are going through this. They have loved ones around them who might be listening and they're like, okay, so what do I do? How do I not, you know, how do I support my spouse that is and my, my mother, um, that's my mother going through. So how do I support her? So, so what would you say to those friends even? It, it, it's, I don't know personally that then it could be just because my view is from a therapist standpoint, I wouldn't call that morbid at all. That's real. Mm-hmm. But um, I can imagine the difficulty in trying to be that person. It's not, it's not just a, a, a mindset that you now have adopted. It's a part of who you now have become. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say to loved ones, friends, you know, how, how to best support someone that doesn't trigger their anxiety? Um, so my words of advice are going to come from like what I think I need. And, and so it could be because all of us walk our own path. And what's mm-hmm. good for me might not be good for somebody else. So I can tell you what I need and, um, and I'll leave it at that. Like this is, this is how people can support me. I would say for me, it's making sure that um, I'm on the right antidepressants, that, um, that that medication is the right medication for me. It's the right doses. I'm taking it at the, the right time of the day. And I'm, I'm really regimented in that. It's um, having the, the support of my family and them knowing that, um, that I'm going to have good days and I'm going to have bad days and to accept me for who I am and to walk alongside me as opposed to telling me what to do, that, that you should do mm-hmm. this and you shouldn't do that. It's more of um, let's walk the journey together and um, I'll love you no matter what, because you're going to have those bad days. Um, and then for me, it's also let, don't let, let me talk about how I'm feeling and don't be afraid of the words that I'm saying. When I'm, when I'm telling you that, you know, I, if, if, if something were to happen to this person, this is how I would get through. Don't, don't pull back. Just understand that that's part of who I am now. And because of the things that I face, I have just a different perspective than you and to accept that perspective because God put us here for a 
specific purpose, hopefully, um, we can lean into that. So I would say, you know, really finding the support of other Christians who may or may not have had the same experiences as you, but surround yourself with faith-based people. So you have that common link and that common um, desire to really live your life for Christ, as opposed to living it for yourself and living it for today. How are you going to advance his kingdom so that we can have as many souls up in heaven glorifying him in the end. So what are you doing to make sure that you're living out why Christ put you here? Despite not quite being able to resonate with someone's position, what does the Bible teach us and instruct us as to how to respond? Despite not being able to even fully relate or not even having um, the right or what we feel is the adequate language. What is it that we would want to happen or what does the Bible tell us to do? And so I really like, like as we wrap up, that is really pretty much pretty close to what I was going to say about how do you get through, but more so how do those of us who are on the um, in the support group, how do we best support? How do we leave room for the uniqueness that you even mentioned about what another person who is going through the treatment of cancer, how do they need you to be? Well, I think one thing that's universal is the the need for us to be more like And so being more like Christ means that we love in a way that is gracious, in a way that is patient, in a way that is kind, in a way that doesn't seek our own. So just because I'm uncomfortable doesn't mean that I should not love, that I should stop loving and start, you know, being judgmental and fearful and anxious myself, which, like you said, then causes us to pull back and avoid someone because we don't quite agree with the ways that they're processing um, their own pain and their journey. But if we be like Christ, then we pretty much have the same response across the board. And so Mm -hmm. it is so good to hear you say um, and and, and suggest that a person above all things, I personally would say, Seek out those who are truly Christ-centered and oriented in just who they are, because the overflow of who they are will come out in the way that they support you in a way that you need. They don't have to figure it out, finally, I'll say, because Mm -hmm. the Spirit of God will speak to them and through them, providing exactly what someone who's going through a difficult time would need. Mm-hmm. So I just want to thank you. Uh, this has been absolutely wonderful, wonderful for me, for, for me, for someone who has um, gone through my own journey um, and even is currently going through a, a, a new challenge in my health that, that, that is oftentimes misunderstood. 
I just want to thank you for your being for being candid and for being open and honest and being transparent um, and for just trusting me with your heart and your journey and your story. Um, thank you so very much. Well, thank you for listening to me and asking the questions. And I hope that this inspires other people to lean into Christ during hard times and know that he, he does make us strong and he, he doesn't put us in situations that we can't get through. And we all have to remember, it's not that he's getting us through to um, glorify ourselves, but he's getting us through to glorify him. And I think if we lean into that, we find the strength that we need. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Love the conversation. I can't wait to share this podcast because the authenticity and some of the things that you discussed, both of you, from a God-centered perspective, is an absolute necessity to help women or even men that may be struggling and going through the breast cancer journey. Uh, what a blessing to our listeners. Um, and again, I thank both of you for your time. And um, as, as we move forward now um, in wrapping up, I want to encourage our listeners to take and share this podcast with your friends and family. And uh, if you haven't subscribed to our show, do do that. We love your support and we continue to grow our listening audience because of our evangelistic calling and our commission. Um, and Jesus does want us to share what he's done in our lives. He's called us to that as Christians, and it's to encourage others. So do like our Facebook and Instagram pages and subscribe to our website at www walteredstories.org. There's all kinds of information we'll be getting out there. Um, you can always find information out there on Tawana's page and Chris's former the episode pages too of these amazing inspirational women. And we are always welcoming feedback on our podcast. And until the next time, be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a new, non-profit evangelistic talk show for women. Our ministry is located in Overland Park, Kansas. And if you enjoyed listening to today's show, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of everyday women too. So why don't you share the link to our podcast on your social media? And we welcome your feedback. So let us know what you think. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories. We welcome your tax-exempt financial donations. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, log on to our website, alteredstories.org. That's alteredstories.org.